Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I am the lead pastor of ministries here at Radiant Life Church. Glad you could be with us here today. Uh, even if we've never met, I am happy to see you here this morning. We are continuing in our teaching series, Everyday Disciple. And we are looking at these four characteristics that would say, hey, what does it look like for us to actually be followers or disciples of Jesus? What what does that mean? What are some key characteristics we could kind of tease out of Scripture? Uh, And we've been walking together through this. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ryan kicked this off. Right, and he talks about the idea of being a spirit-led follower. And he defined this as seeking to obey and follow. Now, that'll, that obedience part and the follow part, that's important. We might know what Jesus says. Right? We might see what his word says, but, but are we going to obey it? Are we going to follow it? So it says, this seeking to obey and follow Jesus. We are transformed through the filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we need to be continuously filled with the power of Holy Spirit every day, every day. Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me, do whatever you want to do. And then last week, Pastor Pam talked about our second characteristic, which is being a force for good. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and check that out. She did a really cool teaching about what it means for us to actually be salt and light, which is what Jesus told us that we are. But she defined this force for good as having kingdom impact where we work, live, and what? Where we work, live, and play. Having kingdom impact. Being that salt and light. And today we jump into our third characteristic of being a follower of Jesus, and that is being a purposeful friend. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you, when you think about this idea of friends. I cannot help but start to sing. So no one told you life was gonna be this way. All right, we got some, we got some friends fans in the room. It was a gamble last service. I was like, if nobody claps, I'll just have to delete this slide, right? Just right out of there. Uh, but you guys, you're my people right here. So, so maybe you think of friends. And now, I do not want to endorse or give the impression that I endorse the morality or lack thereof within this series. But I think, but I think the thing that drew people to Friends, and I think this is what drew me to the show Friends, is a desire to belong in a place where you can just be real and you can be really crappy and people still want to hang out with you. And I think, I think we saw that through the adventures that these characters had in the show, right? They had good days and they had bad days, but what was the thing that they had in common? They did all these things together, right? So maybe that's what you think about when you think of friends. Maybe you're uh, a lot more biblical than me and you don't think about this sitcom, but you think of Proverbs like Proverbs 17, where we read that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. And you think, oh, like, man, friends, like, these are the people that help you out when you're in a tight spot. Like, you just know they are there for you. Maybe when you think about friends, you think about somebody that knows the password to all of your devices. (laughs) Right? If you don't get this reference, I'm sorry. It's cool, I assure you. Right, but this person, they just know 
Like the things that are most important to you, they have access to those things. That's what you think about when you think of friends. I found this quote uh, here just a couple of weeks ago, and I really, I really like this quote. They don't know who said it, but it was a really cool quote. It says, a true friend is someone who knows the song in your heart and can sing it back to you when you have forgotten the words. I think if we were honest, we, we all desire that kind of person in our life. They know the song of our heart and they can sing it back on those days where we don't even remember how it goes. We want that kind of person in our life. So regardless of how you would define friend, what comes to mind when we bring up this topic of friends, I want to give you kind of for the purposes of our series, how we are defining purposeful friend. And a purposeful friend is somebody who's reaching the lost and marginalized where I live, work, and play. I put them in different order than everybody else just to see if y'all are paying attention. A purposeful friend reaching the lost and marginalized where I live, work, and play. And we're going to jump into this here this morning together. And I first want to focus on that first part, purposeful. Purposeful. Now, you know, as much as we would like to go back to our childhood Right and, and, and relive those days where you could just walk up to some random kid on the playground and just be like, hey, do you want to be my friend? And they'd be like, yeah, whatever, because they wanted a friend too, right? Like, we lose that, you know, as we get older, unless some of you might not lose. Anyone still, you still do that? Frank, you're just, you still, just, hey, you want to be my friend? Caleb, right, you guys are like, okay. Maybe it's just an introvert thing. I, I, I don't ever do that. Like, hey, do you just, just want to be my friend? But purposeful. What does that look like? I'm going to read two different passages, and, and you might be tired of me using these passages, but until we're all doing them, I'm probably going to keep using them. Right? But Jesus says this in Luke 19.10. He says, for the Son of Man came to what? To seek and to save the lost. And then in Matthew 28, I just shared this one a couple of weeks ago. He says what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So when we talk about this idea of being purposeful, it's important for us to remember that reaching the lost does not happen accidentally. It takes purpose and intentionality. Sometimes in our, in our walk with, with Jesus, we, we function like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to hang out and by golly, you know, if somebody comes by and they want me to tell them about Jesus, I'll sure do that. It takes purpose and intentionality. Jesus said he came to seek that is an active pursuit. He didn't set up shop and just wait for them to come to him. He went out and looked. And then he tells his disciples, go. I think Jesus knows about humanity because, I mean, he created us, right? So he knows that we tend to gravitate towards things that are comfortable. And so I think he had to remind his disciples, it's going to be really easy for you guys to just hang out here in Jerusalem you know the culture, you know the people, you've got all these connections, and that's probably gonna be pretty comfortable for you, even when they're angry at you, because you know this space. But he's like, nah, man, you gotta, gotta get out there. You have to go. So, that's the first part. Be purposeful. Why? Because it's not going to happen on accident. Now, can God do cool things and just miraculously have somebody pop up and just like, hey, could you tell me about Jesus? I'm not gonna tell you that never happens, 
I've never heard of that happening, so I wouldn't bank on that method. So now, now let's move into our conversation about the friend aspect of this. If you have your text with you, turn to Luke chapter 10. If you have your, your good old paper Bible, which is my preference, your phone, your tablet, however you engage with the word, go to Luke chapter 10. We're going we're gonna to look at a teaching that Jesus gave, and we're going to see how we can apply that to our conversation here together today. So we're going to begin reading in chapter 25 of Luke chapter 10. And it says this, that an expert in the law stood up to test him, him being Jesus, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him, how do you read it? Because again, we've talked about these religious leaders before, like this guy, like he knows the law. So now Jesus is saying, all right, how do you interpret this? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, this religious leader asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him for dead. A priest, which would be like kind of our equivalent of like a Chris Conrad, right? Somebody pretty important religious guy, right? Chris Conrad, our regional superintendent, he's wandering down the road. When he saw this guy beat up, bloody, on the side of the road, he passed by on the other side. He says, nope. In the same way, a Levite, which would be like, you know, like a, a regular Joe kind of pastor, like a Pastor Pam or Pastor Brandon or myself, right? They wander by. And when he arrived at the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. So you've got these religious leaders who had good religious reasons to not go over there. Because, man, if this guy's dead, like, hey, we can't touch him. We're unclean. We, man, well, they'll mess it up. We can't serve in church for like a week. We don't want that. So they passed over. I think, as, as the people are listening to Jesus, they know that Jesus is, is kind of butt heads with the religious leaders of his day. You know, and he's gravitated towards these regular Joe kind of people, fishermen, right, tax collectors. He, he kind of has this ragtag group of guys around him. And people know this about Jesus. I would suggest to you that probably as they're listening, and we don't know, so you, you, I could be wrong, right? But as they're listening, it's, it's possible they are expecting that Jesus is going to now introduce the hero of the story and it'll just be some regular Jewish dude because that's who Jesus hangs out with. That's what he does. So, so he, they're thinking, oh, okay, yeah, it wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Levite. Have you ever done that? Maybe you've done it here, like during a message. You anticipate what we're going to say next, so you write it in your notes. And then even if it, that's not what it is, you just leave it there because you're like, oh, yeah, my idea was better. Anyways, right, so, so maybe they're sitting there anticipating the direction. And then Jesus has this big old plot twist. Plot twist. He says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. 
He went over to him and bandaged him, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which there's some debate on the worth of that. Some scholars would say that could be upwards of like two months uh, worth of rent at this inn. He gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I will reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Jesus wraps up the story. Now he says to this teacher of the law, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The guy says, the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So Jesus upset the apple cart culturally here by introducing a hero who was a Samaritan. Again, if you've been in church world, this is, this is old news to you, right? Jews did not like Samaritans. They were half-breeds in the, in the Jewish mind. Like, these are half-breeds. Like, man, they're all messed up. They're mixed in with all this pagan culture. We don't like them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. We're going to go a long, long, long ways out of the way to avoid going through Samaritan territory. But Jesus introduces this character as the hero in the story. And I think what we see here is that Jesus redefines what a neighbor is. You, ha- you have this religious leader who's he's, he's trying to get out of it, basically. So he says, well, okay, yes, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is that really? You know, like, can we really define that? And Jesus upsets the apple cart by saying, yes, even this guy, this guy was a neighbor. And he says, it's not about a demand that we can make of somebody else to be our neighbor and love on us. He's saying, man, if you want to live into my model, there is a demand on you to be a neighbor to everybody else. And it doesn't matter what they look like, what they smell like, what they vote like, what they, whatever. Because Jesus redefines what a neighbor is. And he, he kind of overwrites the normal categories of inclusion that we, even today, still rely on. His listeners probably anticipated that the hero would be somebody a lot like them. And they were probably very surprised to hear what Jesus said. When it comes to friends, I want to I wanna extrapolate this, what we, we see here, and apply this to the the idea of friends, because we often fall into the same patterns. If you think about some of your closest friends, and and there there will be exceptions, I'm, I'm almost positive of it, but for the most part, who are we friends with? Probably people that have similar, you know, hobbies, similar interests, we like the same music, we, we, you know, we went to the same school, we did this, 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 And we often build friendships on similarities. Hey, we can get along because in some way, you're like me. And I kind of like myself, so I don't mind hanging out with somebody who is like myself. And that's often how we develop friendships. Now, I'm sure some of you have friends with people that are very different than you. Awesome. But I I would guess, for the most part, that's not how we approach it. We're like, uh... How well are we going to get along? But Jesus redefines and overwrites these areas of of inclusion and exclusion. The people that they would have said are very different. He says, no, that's actually, that's the one who I'm going to use as my model in this narrative. You guys with me so far? 
So, purposeful, because reaching the lost doesn't happen accidentally. And then the friend, I, I want to challenge us here today to expand uh, our, our radar beyond the people that are a lot like us. You guys with me? Okay. In the same way Jesus expands on the idea of neighbor, we're going to expand on this idea of a purposeful friend. And I want to suggest to you that there is also built into this a call to be a purposeful neighbor in our particular context here today. Neighbor meaning the people you live around. Right? You might have friends. Awesome. But there are people that live on your street that could be lost, that could be marginalized. We're going to hear in, in, in just a few moments here from somebody who's found a really cool way to live into this. I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's, it's pretty cool. But you would be a purposeful neighbor. Show of hands, who's a student? Maybe you're in middle school, high school, college, right? Student, did you know that you can be a purposeful classmate? There's a good chance that there are people in your class, at your school, that don't know Jesus, who are living in a place of, of hurt and brokenness. You can be a purposeful classmate to those individuals. You can be a purposeful relative. Many of us, myself included, right? You have family members who are not walking with Jesus. You can, you can let Holy Spirit use you to bring the hope and healing of Jesus to the people that you are related to that are lost and are marginalized. What about being a purposeful coworker? Show of hands, who's got a job? All right? So you've got a mission field. What would it look like if you interacted with your coworkers in a way that honored Jesus? What if you, you had your radar open to those around you to say, man, like, is, is there somebody around me at work who I could be a conduit of Jesus to? But so often we, you know, we, we get to work, we punch in, we do the job, we punch out, we go home, rinse and repeat the next day. And we're just, just got to get the job done, just got to get the job done. What if we approach that as a, as a mission field, as an opportunity to minister to people who need it? What about a purposeful boss? Maybe you own a company, maybe you run a department or, or you know, some, some area at work. What would it look like if, if you modeled Jesus to everybody that you managed or oversaw? What if the only glimpse of Jesus that your employees got was the way that you treat them? What does it look like for you as a boss to create an environment that facilitates meaningful connection? That facilitates opportunities for you to actually invest in the, in the lives of your employees. Not just by giving them a paycheck, but getting to know them. Saying, hey, man, how can I walk alongside you as you're struggling with this? What might that look like? So I was, and there's probably more things that we could add to this. Right? But, but if we look at every aspect of our life, where we live, work, and play... What does it look like for us to be purposeful, to actively seek those who are lost or marginalized and be a, a, a source of healing and comfort to those individuals? You guys with me? So I want to I introduce you to a few people. Right over here, this is my buddy Marco. 
Marco spent 20 years as a United States Marine. He did three tours in Afghanistan. He lost countless buddies to bullets and bombs. And if you talk to Marco, Marco would say, you guys, talk about this God who loves people. I don't think he's ever been to Afghanistan. He says, and I don't think my buddies had a guardian angel or they'd still be with us today. This is Zach. Zach is 13 years old. When Zach was one week old, his dad took off. He's never seen him in his life. Zach's mom really wanted to to take care of her son, so she worked really hard and has worked multiple jobs to be able to provide for Zach. But unfortunately, all the time she spends making ends meet doesn't leave a lot of time for healthy connection with her son. So Zach kind of floats. He's never really connected with any of his peers at school. He's, he's nervous to get too close to people. Because man, what if, what if they take off on me? He's embarrassed to talk to teachers about the things that he's, that he's experiencing. He doesn't want to tell anybody that dad's not around. He feels like that somehow reflects on him. But recently, Zach did find a group of people where he could find some sense of belonging. A group of kids that they don't seem to care what his background is. They don't seem to care whether or not he opens up to them. The only thing they really care about is where they're going to find their next high. And in this place, Zach thinks he might have finally found somewhere to belong. Over here, I want you to meet Tim and Gina. Last week, Tim and Gina celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary. They've raised two children into adulthood, and they have six grandkids. Every single week, you will find Tim and Gina warming a pair of chairs at church. Gina takes notes, and sometimes when he's feeling extra energized, Tim sings with a couple of the songs. But outside of the social gathering that they participate in every week at church, God doesn't really factor into Tim and Gina's lives. If you were to take a snapshot of their life 35 years ago before they started attending church and compared that to a snapshot now, there would be virtually no difference. What if Marco was your neighbor? What if Zach sat next to you in school or he was in your class that you teach? And what if Tim and Gina sit right in front of you every single week at church? Would you know them? Would you know the things that they're experiencing, the struggles that they're walking through in life? 
would you care? We live in a broken, fallen world. And there are people all around us who are hurting and desperately need Jesus. What would it look like for us to purposefully invest in the people around us? Several years ago, Pastor Ryan rolled out this tool for us as a staff. He calls it our outreach temperature. It's got a scale here, you know, from from 1 to 10, right? Over on that one side, this is apathy. Like, you don't actually care. Or you're totally unaware of the people around you that need a, a touch from Jesus. Up to 10 where you're like moving and grooving. You're looking for every opportunity that you, you can find to be Jesus to somebody. If you were to take a picture of your thermostat, if you will, what's your temperature? Are you cold to those around you that, that need Jesus? I have a, a few questions, and I encourage you to write these down and, and spend some time this week reflecting on these questions. The first one is this. How am I investing in my one? Now, this is probably our fault as, as leadership that we don't keep this in front of you more. But over here on, on, on this wall, we have this, this little cabinet with three different colored ping pong balls. I actually had some on stage, and they disappeared. I don't know what happened. But... We have these white ping pong balls. And that represents somebody that you feel like God has put on your heart for you to invest in, for kingdom impact, right? For somebody for you to, to be Jesus to. A few weeks ago, Pastor Brandon talked about reaching the lost and, and he talked about the bless method. Again, we did a whole series on that a couple of years ago. You can go back, it's our reaching out series. But he talked about that bless method. Who's, who's somebody that I can invest in, that I can bless, right? And we write that name on the white ping pong ball. And then as we invest in those people over time and we begin to, to have some spiritual conversations, some God-focused conversations, we write that name on a green ping pong, ping pong ball as we continue to pray. And then our hope and our prayer is that eventually that person will come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we write the name on a blue ping pong ball and we put that over there. And how awesome that there are some in there. Some of you have been praying for people. You've been having spiritual conversations with people and they're coming into a relationship with Jesus. But some of us have probably forgotten that we ever even talked about that. So how are we investing in our one? Are we investing in our one? Do you know who yours is? Spend some time and say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to go to? Where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? The next question that you can jot down is this. Which relationships am I currently investing in? Am I primarily investing in people that are a lot like me? Because that's relatively easy. It's relatively comfortable. 
Am I investing at all in people that aren't following Jesus? Am I pouring into the lives of others? Now, as a, as a staff, we're going through a book that Pastor JB introduced to us. Uh, it's been a really good, really challenging read so far. The book is called The Other Half of Church. And in that book, authors Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks define joy. And they define it like this. They say, joy is what I feel when I see the sparkle in someone's eye that conveys, I'm happy to be with you. It's the sparkle in the eye that conveys, I'm happy to be with you. You can be a source of joy for the lost and marginalized where you live, work, and play. One of the things that I've, I've discovered over, over the years uh, working here at, at Radiant Life, you know, and in pastoral counseling, you know, meetings, that kind of thing, or just conversations with people, I think one of the, the biggest thing, if I had to pick a, a thread and kind of tease it out that ran through 95% of those conversations, sometimes people just need somebody that'll sit down, look at them, and listen to let them process through the junk they're dealing with. But if we're not ever making time, right, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? In those moments, even in the middle of mess, we can communicate to these people, even though you're talking about all this garbage in your life, I'm happy to be with you. And you can create that joy in these people. Which relationships are you investing in? Now, a few months ago, I had a conversation with a, a buddy and discovered that he had a really cool thing that he was starting to do to invest in people's lives. Go back uh, a few minutes ago when we talked about being a purposeful neighbor. I want to invite my buddy Jeff uh, out of the stage. I grab that mic. Because Jeff has found a really cool way to live into this. So uh, Jeff, you did awesome last service. So just do whatever you did last service and, yeah, and was, we're uh, going to be great. So, so the two so. observations from last time, the first was he has me come up and kind of do one of these on the edge <laughs> here. And uh, that actually made my comfort level a bit worse. So I okay. appreciate you allowing me to yeah, not we'll just, do Yeah, hey, yeah. you know what? We'll, we'll stay. And the second was... So Sometimes I, we've got to stretch our comfort zone, though. Yeah. And know, this, I mean, is, it's, this it's is a important. stretch right here. Uh, but no, um, the second was, because uh, I never get this perspective, that I saw at least two individuals that were either in deep, deep uh, spiritual contemplation or they were sleeping. So that was, <laughs> I've had, it's been a while. I had one time, I think I had six people sleeping uh, during my message. So that was, was a right, little right. So, uh, But no, um, so the idea came, uh, I was in a discipleship group. Uh, we call them D groups. Uh, and I would endorse one of those if you've never been a part. It's a, it was just a group of guys Pastor Josh was a part of it. Um, we were going through the book of Matthew. It was, you go to a deeper dive into that. Um, and we, we read and we go through it very slowly. And then we discuss um, 
And we came up on Matthew 22, 37 through 39. And this is the same exchange that you referenced in Luke, um, where the expert on the law asks what the greatest commandments are to Jesus. And of course, he says, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And then the second, uh, which is like this, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we discussed that. And I had some, you know, some conviction there because the idea of loving my neighbor as myself, if I were to like think um, honestly in that, I was, I was not. Um, you know, my, I guess, my neighborly interaction was a was a wave when I passed by at the same time every day. They just happened to be outside or whatever. And that was kind of like the extent of my love for my neighbor. So there was some conviction there. So you recommended a book called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, and there were, as I was reading through that, there were a couple of questions that really stuck out to me. And the first was, um, uh, what if Jesus was referring to like my actual physical neighbors? you know, on my block, in my neighborhood, down the street, you know, that kind of thing. Because sometimes we can put such a vagueness on your neighbor that it becomes this individual that doesn't really exist. You can't really nail it down to somebody specifically. So, you know, that was a question. What if he was referencing my actual neighbor? Um, and the second was to, to draw a map, to put my house on a little map and to kind of go around drawing a little diagram with all of the houses on my block and just list the names of the people that live there. And I, I think I did less than 50%. I knew a couple. Um, I knew uh, kind of what they looked like just by passing by. And some, I just, I don't know if I had ever seen them and they were literally just on the other side of the block. So I could not complete that map. So then I, you know, I thought, how can I love my neighbor as myself if I don't even know my neighbor? So that begins to instill this drive to like, if I'm going to do that, number one, I have to create some kind of a relationship with them. You know, it, it, it's difficult to show love to someone that you don't know, that you don't converse with. Um, so that was the first thought and the question stirring in my mind. But also, how can I be a disciple of Jesus? He is my Lord a disciple making disciples um, where I live, work, and play, and I'd highlight that live, I, I wouldn't be able to do that realistically. And so, yeah, there was definitely a, a weight that was pressing on me, really in a good way. Um, but honestly, I just kind of let life get in the way of that pressing, and I moved on. I kind of stuffed it back and said, I, I got things to do kind of thing. Um, Fast forward a little bit to graduation party for my oldest son. So we have a party in my garage, um, and it wasn't complicated. It was, I, we invited family and friends that knew us, uh, and we had a little party. And people came, we ate food, we talked a bit, and we, we kind of, um, you know, there were relationships there, ones that I had already known, but we just kind of furthered those relationships and friendships. But I had a neighbor, uh, a neighbor that I know, and a neighbor that I did not invite to this party. And that was unfortunate of me to not do that. I mean, he knows me. Um, he uh, hasn't been a part of the family, but I mean, we know him. And he just stopped by. He saw the door was open to my garage. He saw we were having a party. There was a gathering on the block. And he says, I'd like to be a part of that. So he just stopped by. And I said, sure, come on in. You know, you're, you're welcome to join us in food and conversation. And so that's really where I thought, 
It doesn't have to be that complicated, does it? You know, um, it could be my garage with some tables and some chairs. And so that's really where my thought was, I'm just going to duplicate that process. So uh, September was really my first go at this. I've done uh, two monthly gatherings. I'm going to have another one here next week, day after Thanksgiving. We're going to feast. We're going to have turkey and pie and the whole deal. Um, and we're going to gather in my garage with some tables and chairs. But um, the thought was once a month, that's doable. Uh, and I'm just going to hand deliver some invitations. Since the first go around, uh, I have received numbers so I can text. And, so, and that's really a furthering of the relationship. So these, these relationships are beginning to happen all out of uh, an intentionality that I'm going to go at this on my block. So yeah, I'd walk these around. I knock on doors. Yes, it was awkward. Yes, it was like, you know, it was kind of like, who are you? What are you doing here? Like, you've got a sack of papers in your hand. Uh, I would prefer to not buy whatever, you're, whatever it is that you're selling, <laughs> you know. Um, I typically would take my kids along, so there was like a little bit of a lessening of the intimidation. You know, I'm a little bit of a taller guy, and, uh, and so people might wonder, why is this guy here, you know, and, you know, or maybe not even answer the door. You, you get some of those, you know, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, I just hand delivered them. And the first one in September, I would say it was a success. I mean, uh, it was, it was pleasing to see that, that there was something on the block that, that my neighbors were invited to and they came. And the second time, um, it was almost the other side of the block. But the, the interesting thing of the first time, it was very cool to see that I had neighbors that lived on other sides of the block that also had never met each other. And they were shaking hands and they were developing relationships because we do, we have a community on that block and that's what I wanna be a part of. Um, so, you know, you think, why? You know, why would, why would I do this? You know, of course, it's in the word. God Almighty says, I would like you, I'm commanding you to do this. I mean, we, it was the greatest commandments, you know. Um, Jesus says to do this. But for me, I see it more as an opportunity, not an obligation, that I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I get to participate in the good work that God is doing. I myself, my faith will be encouraged in this. If I can trust my heavenly father that everything he is doing is good for me and that I can trust him in that, then, then I'm going to be obedient in that. But the second was really to just keep it simple, to create relationships, you know, not get super religious, not get, um, you know, in some ways you can almost get offensive. If you, if you really pound in, you know, uh, and somebody is not ready to receive the good news of Jesus and you really push it hard, you can, you can kind of strain relationships. So I just wanted to make it simple. I'm not here with any agenda. I just want to know you. You're my neighbor. Uh, there are ways that you can help me, that you can kind of enhance my life by me knowing you. Maybe there's something I could borrow from you. Maybe there's something you could support me in. So this isn't a one-way deal. Um, so that was the, the idea. But when the time comes, I'm, I'm going to pray with him. You know, when the time comes, as we build these relationships, I am going to present, um, you know, I like the three circles. You know, it's, it's a gospel, uh, it's a, a method of presenting the gospel, um, but I'm going to do those things when the time comes and when the relationship has kind of uh, made that available. So what I found after the two meetings is that one, the neighbors actually came. 
You know, so that was good. You don't know what's going to happen. You kind of throw it out there and you think, it might just be us kids, which is okay, because i got to feed a lot of kids anyways. So it's like, you know, it, we're going to do it anyways. But I've also learned more in two meetings than in the six and a half years that I've lived there of just details of people, you know, who they are, where they work, you know, the, the people they know, the things that are going on in their lives. And the reality is, is that sometimes my tendency, if my life is going all right, if, if I'm not dealing in a lot of struggle and difficulty, sometimes the assumption is that everybody else is doing all right too. But the reality is, it's just not true. You know, people, uh, when you talk to people, there is a weight that can be on them. There is a, a level of hopelessness that can be on them. And I have, I have the greatest message the world has ever known in knowing Jesus Christ that they can understand and be set free and, uh, and let the chains go, you know, be, break free from that. So, and I found joy in it. You know, there's joy in the conversations there's joy in the giving of kindness and the receiving of kindness. You know, I was, I was invited yesterday to attend a Hispanic version of Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving night, you know, and so I, I'm not sure what that looks like, but I'm probably going to go and participate in that. And so it's a receiving of that as well. Um, but for me, probably the greatest joy that I guess individual moments of joy are when I'm preparing my garage, it's just an empty room, and I'm setting up tables, and I'm setting up chairs, and, and I typically put on worship music, and I, I'm, I'm just envisioning what good you're going to do here, Father. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Saturate this room so much so that they walk in the room, and they feel your presence, and they want more, and they want more. And, it's, and that he would allow me, just me, to participate in that with all the baggage that I have in my own life, that he says, I want you a part of my kingdom coming, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to participate in this and have an ownership in this. And really my, I guess if I were going to, you know, because I'm kind of a, I like to dream, dream big, you know, if there were a vision of this, um, you know, I believe that we were made for this. I believe, uh, you know, uh, one, it's been, it's what we've been called to do. We just, we just read it in Luke. We just read it in, it's, it's in Matthew. It's in various gospels that those are the two of the greatest commands. Love, love the Lord, our God and love our neighbors. Um, but it's also been planned. You know, I'm fascinated by Psalm 139, 16, where he says, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So he knows he knows that I'm on this block. He knows that I live in this city at this moment in history. He knows my neighbor. And so all of it has been planned. And he goes with us. So we can all kind of have an ownership in this. That whatever block you live on, if you're whatever city you live in, you can say that I was placed there for a purpose. And I was, you know, sometimes I think we can like almost put it on the leadership and say like, well, I'm not a... I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to convey the good news. It's like, but he has planned for you to be in that place, on that block, in this moment in history. So you have been equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but an even further vision would be like, what if, uh, what if 
I was, I was kind of looking at a diagram of the city of Sturgis on like a governmental map. And I, you know, you zoom out, there's a lot of blocks in the city of Sturgis. And, and I'm kind of on, on the northwest side. And if I were to like highlight a little bit right there and say, that is my block. Like I am going to stand fast. I'm going to build my life on that firm foundation. And I'm going to not allow the darkness in. I'm going to allow the light to shine in that place and claim an ownership in that um, because I don't like seeing, you know, we've had statistics. Pam had some statistics last week of the, just the numbers of the people putting their hope in things that can't wear the, the weight of that hope. So it will lead them to further hopelessness. Um, we have a hope, a realistic living hope that we can trust in. And so, yeah, that's, that's been my experience. Um, it's, it's been a joy. I'm excited to continue on. We'll do Thanksgiving. We'll do something Christmas next time or next month, and um, we'll see what happens. Cool. Hey, can we thank Jeff? Can we thank Jeff? Thank you. So uh, Radiant Life is part of the, the Great Lakes region of the Wesleyan Church. And one of the, the goals of the, the Great Lakes region is to see a transforming presence in every zip code. And that's across Michigan, uh, Illinois, and Wisconsin. That's a big vision. But what would it look like for us at Radiant Life to say, what would it look like to have a, a transforming presence on every block in our communities? Right, he's got he's got what West Geraldine, right? You got that you got that covered. All right, well now if you if you look at your block, if you look at your block, what would it look like for you to do a monthly breakfast block party? Right, just make you hungry here a little bit, right? But you 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 prepare the table and invite people in. Now maybe you live in an area where like oh I don't actually have I don't actually have neighbors like real close geographically. Like I moved out here to get away from all those people, right? Maybe you, maybe you have coworkers, and you could invite them in. Again, once a month. Man, the first, so we, we discovered this because uh, my wife and I got a call from Jeff, and he says, hey, you guys need any pancakes and sausage, right? He did pancakes and sausage for his first, right? And, and that's what it was. You can get a, a really big bag of pancake mix for not a lot of money, right? So this doesn't have to be something that breaks the bank. Right? But let's, let's set the table and invite people to join us at the table. Which relationships are we investing in? And then our last question is this. Who in my life needs a touch from Jesus? Like Jeff said it so well, right? Like we have the only real source of hope and that's Jesus. Who in my life needs that? And I'll give you all three of those questions one more time as the worship team comes up. Spend some time this week reflecting on this. How are you investing in your one? Do you have your one? Which relationships am I currently investing in? Who around you is a a Marco or a Zach or a Tim and Gina that are going through life without Jesus? Father God, we thank you for just the hope that you give us. May we not be hope hoarders. Lord, may we take the good news of Jesus to those around us.
May we shout your name from the mountaintop or to our neighbor or our employee or our boss. Give us eyes to see those around us who need you, Jesus. And give us a heart that is ready to obey as you call us into the sometimes mess of life. But we know that you go before us, Lord. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out the Radiant Life. Dot church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.